to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I'm Adam Comer, your host as usual, and I am joined by Joe Gaudio, and we are basically going to give you a rundown of the last, I would call it news and notes and just anything that the goings-on of Duke before we officially hit the two-month dead period. Because whoever listened to my Grayson uh, podcast, um, when I opened it, I was basically like, yeah, I mean, this is it. Usually there's something going on in this time range, whether it be Olympics, whether it be World Championships, um, whether just Duke on a one of those uh, f- overseas trips. This year, nothing. So all of August, all of September, that's a dead period where I'm going to do some more, I guess, fun, creative uh, podcasts in that time. And uh, so this is basically the last sliver of things that we can actually go over currently. So, Joe, thanks for joining. And uh, how are you getting by in the dead period of time with uh, Duke basketball? Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. I'm uh, excited to be on again. Uh, you know, I'm trying to to stick as much and pay much attention to his, the NBA and everything during the down period. There's some some college news going on, but, you know, every, every day that we go by is a, a day closer to the first day. So I'm excited to, you know, get into the – the heart of the Duke season soon. Okay, and since the last episode was totally about Grayson, I will say the one, the last one I did with you, there were a couple of, I guess, either errors or stuff that I just want to add on real quick. With, with the Grayson one, I said that uh, there is uh, <laughs> Ju- Julius Randall could tell you about uh, Chris Paul and some of his, uh, if you want to call it, um, dirty play. I meant Julius Hodge, obviously. Julius Randall was not... Not only was he not playing in the ACC, played for Kentucky, but he wasn't even in that same time period. So Julius Hodge, Chris Paul punched him in the nuts. There's no other way to say that. Then uh, another thing I'll get to in a second with Tyus. But uh, I also forgot Shane Battier. I should have mentioned him. He's actually the official director of basketball development and analytics for the Heat. And when they signed Jimmy Butler, when Jimmy Butler came in for a meeting with the Heat, he was one of them. It's basically the owner's Riley and Mickey Harrison and Harrison's son and just everyone in charge and Battier was there so he has a very valid role I guess basketball related positions it's not the NBA but Will Avery he is president of basketball operations for the Augusta 706ers of the ABA I actually went to their I actually went to their website and he is listed as uh, the point guard for the national champion Duke team of 1999 which I was like huh that's, that's I don't think we won that. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love to uh, rewrite <laughs> history, but that's interesting. The sixth banner? Yeah, I'll take a sixth banner, sure. Yeah. All right. And then um, a major, I guess you can call it a screw-up. We did mention Tyus Jones a bit at the end, but I'll take full blame because, I mean, that was basically supposed to be just kind of me getting to know you and developing some sort of chemistry that la- the last time we talked. And I just jotted down a whole bunch of names. So talking about Trey Jones a bit. I probably just kind of included him in with Tyus, but we really didn't get to too much Tyus. So I do want to mention him, especially after he just signed a three-year, $26 million deal, possible 28 with incentives with the Grizzlies. Uh, So that's huge for him. And uh, a cool stat from last year, an NBA all-time best assist-to-turnover ratio of uh, 6.9, nice, to 1. So uh, all-time best ratio, not too shabby. So how do you feel about and, – and I also want to add that he actually teaming up with Grayson 
and with Miles Plumley, he's the first, or that makes the first team ever to roster three champs from Duke at the same time, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, think of everyone who's played in the NBA from Duke, first team to roster three champs from Duke at the same time. So you think that's a good fit in Memphis playing as either backup or maybe even at the same time as John Morant? Yeah, I actually liked the signing there for him because, you know, looking through their roster a little bit, they, they're in need of some some youth and some playmakers there. And I think based on, you know, the, the great assist-to-turnover ratio we had in college, the great assist-to-turnover ratio we had, obviously, um, uh, last year with, with the Wolves, I mean, he he's a good addition there, whether it's a backup, whether it's Ja playing – you know, we've seen Jaws' ability to play both with and without the basketball. So I think they'll, they'll he'll he'll play a lot of minutes. He'll get a chance. That's not a contract you give somebody you're not gonna make part of the rotation for sure. So you know, given him, given Grayson, given their ability, you know, them playing together in the past, I think you know I'm a I'm a big Miles guy. Um, hope he can carve out a role there somehow. But I I, I think that's a good nice young backcourt they got there. Three yeah. good pieces there. I will say, I mean, Ja, at times, um, he played a bit off the ball at Murray State, but most of the time the ball was in his hands. So the, sure. only, the only thing that I wouldn't say worry, because uh, hopefully they'll make it work, but Tyus, he's not going to kind of dominate an offense, but he's he's not going to make mistakes, obviously. And Ja Morant, I, he's going to make a lot of mistakes because guess what? That's what young point guards do. So sure. the, the only thing is if, the Grizzlies play it safe too much with Tyus and put the ball in his hands a lot just to prevent mistakes. John Murray not, might not be able to develop as much, and Tyus is still young. He's like 23 or 24. So hopefully they still let John Morant be a playmaker and as well as give Tyus a chance to show what he can do. And I think a great thing about Tyus is, if you remember some of his best plays, they actually came off ball with him splitting time right. at Duke because he split a lot of time with Quinn Cook switching back and forth, point guard and shooting guard. And, uh, I mean, that curl across the lane um, for jumpers at the free throw line and uh, some some of his three-pointers. He didn't hit many that, that year, but what he did they're hit, all they were, big. They were yeah, huge, they were yeah. So I think Tyus, he can play some off ball. So I, I think this, the, the my – again, I don't want to call it a worry, but you don't want to – Keep the ball out of Jaws' hands. You gotta let him make mistakes, but I think that could be a good fit there. Yeah. Um, he's too elect. He's too electric not to have the ball in his hands. So I, I love John Moran. Um, yeah, he's. I'm a Bulls fan. I was hoping he'd the Bulls would somehow get up there, but obviously that did not happen. So. Yep. So you got uh, Quinn Cook to the Lakers. That I actually the last time we talked, I was hoping he'd go to the Lakers. I think that's a great fit as a spot up guy playing with LeBron and Davis, who will obviously attract a lot of doubles, a lot of attention. Two years, $6 million. The second year is partially guaranteed. Quinn, he's known Davis for a while, Anthony Davis. He said that was a big factor in him signing. And just the fact that he said the, that the Lakers told him, like, he's a guy who's been in big situations from high school at DeMatha and Oak Hill to Duke to, um, to the Golden State Warriors. He's never one to back down from a uh, a challenge. He always stays ready. So I, I think nothing is going to overwhelm him. I, I think he could he could be a great fit in with the Lakers. Yeah, I do too. I was excited to see him when he signed there. I think he's a good he's a good addition there, surrounded by um, 
you know, Avery Bradley's there now, and there's some other uh, Danny Green. They've added some shooting. So, you know, we all know that LeBron's best years have been surrounded around good shooters, and Quinn is is definitely that. So, okay, you got Jabari to the Hawks, two years, thirteen million. Second year's a player option. I remember saying I'd be shocked if the Wizards didn't sign him because, uh, I mean, they got to have someone who can kind of create off the dribble. They didn't sign him, and to think it's not even. It's not even that big a contract, so he's off. No. He's going to be playing with uh, Cam Reddish. If Cam um, doesn't get some uh, learning experience in the G League, then they'll both be on the Hawks. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's an interesting. You know, I was looking at their. It's an interesting roster they got. You know, with Trey in the backcourt, they'll have Cam can play some two, which makes him a, a big two. You know, with, with his size and length, you put Jabari there. You got John Collins there. I mean, they got a. Got a good, nice little nucleus to work in there, and I think Parker, you know, if nothing else, he's a good, he, he he's a good, you know, he's a good role model, and he's a good, you know, teammate. He's always been a good teammate, and you know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy he landed on his feet there, and I think he'll actually, you know, he'll get a lot of playing time there. Yeah, and, I, and it's too bad with the with, with I'm sorry with, no, with the uh, with the Wizards because with the news that just came out about John Wall potentially missing 19 and 20 in the all of 19 20 season, they. I mean, they could use some scoring, and he would be at least bring bring that to the table. So, yeah, I think they're just trying to get as young as possible. And mm-hmm. uh, while Jabari is certainly not old, he has had some knee problems. Sure. And uh, I think his defense can be a bit lacking at times. Hopefully, the Hawks can back him up that way. But uh, I think he could fit with what the Hawks are are trying to do. I'm still surprised they traded up for DeAndre Hunter. Uh, when I thought at that position, Culver would have been great. But uh, Hunter, he is a better shooter, spot-up shooter than Culver at this point. So, yeah, that could be a good fit. The others, uh, Emil, he was re-signed for a one-year contract with the Magic. He averaged 18-12 and 12 in the G League. So maybe they like what they see there, want to give him another chance. So that's cool. He gets a uh, contract with the Magic. Then we have Lance Thomas. He was let go by the Knicks. He's looking for a new team. Luol Deng, he is looking for a team. Sean Livingston, kind of an honorary dookie. He, I thought there was news that he was thinking about retiring during last season, but nope, he, he's looking for a new home as well. I don't think he's signed with a new team, so he's he's keeping on going. So any, any last thoughts on signings? No, so yeah, Sean Livingston, I think someone will, will – uh make some space for him he's you know a good mid-range player he's a good defender you know smart player so I think it, you know someone's going to realize you know whether it's unfortunately an injury or whatever the case may be you know there'll, there'll be a spot I think opened up for Sean Livingston I actually saw a, a very interesting thing about Lance Thomas I guess Lance Thomas is like a huge fisher like loves fishing oh, yeah? so like yeah so now what he's doing is he's actually um he's hosting this thing called the slang magic fishing extravaganza it's on like a boat it's huge like and he's the the host for it so i never tabbed you know i never knew that he was like big into that type of you know fishing and stuff but i could i could see him personality wise being a great fit for like an mc for something like that oh yeah he's like mr personality i mean that's for sure kind of in a different way what i was talking about last episode with grace and how we know what is specifically like designed to put out there and, I mean, there's so much going on. Maybe Lance got into fishing after Duke. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just these guys, they're human beings, and there's so much going on with their lives. We only know so much. So that's 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 cool for uh, Lance. All right, so yeah. Before, yeah, before we get to uh, 
um, Summer League. I will say Antonio Vrankovic, he played with the Croatian team. Big Vrank, the Vrankening, and post-recording edit, I just wanted to uh, apologize. Obviously, the 90 and 92 teams was not Croatia and Serbia. Yugoslavia hadn't split up yet, so the 90 and 92 teams were Yugoslavia with uh, Petrovic, with Divac, with, and with Kukoc. I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to watch the ESPN 30 for 30 on that whole situation with uh, the split and how Vladi Divac and Drazen Petrovic, their friendship, and then, unfortunately, what became of it. I thought it was cool, and he talked about how he was inspired by the 1992 um, Croatian team that uh, lost the gold medal. Um, or did he play for the Serbian team? This, well, they, I think, well, yeah, because that split up. I don't know. But uh, the 1992 Croatian team that uh, um, lost the gold medal game to the Dream Team, his father, I am probably pronouncing it wrong, it's either Stojko <laughs> or Stojko, um, who played on I'm going to go with Stojko. It sounds more natural, but I apologize if I'm getting that wrong. And... That, that that was just, I mean, they had crazy talent. They had Kukoc, they had Vladi Divac, and they had pretty much one of the greatest players ever who was just getting into his prime, uh, Drazen Petrovic, Ooh. who um, unfortunately passed when he was a member of the Nets. He could have been one of the great ones. And it actually reminded me, I look back to uh, – Coach K, back in the days when he, when everyone was saying, yeah, he can always get to the big game, but he can never win the big game. And, well, it's an honor no matter what to not just coach uh, the, US, the U.S. national team, but to medal. I, it took me back to the 1990 World Championship team when he coached them, and they actually lost to uh, Yugoslavia in, uh, it was the um, semifinals. They lost 99-91. And I'm looking at, and they did beat Puerto Rico in overtime to win the bronze. But I'm just looking through at some of these games, and they were all so close. I mean, Spain, they won by 10. Argentina, they won by 4. Australia, they won by 1. Um, they lost to Puerto Rico by 2. They lost to Yugoslavia by 8, and they beat Puerto Rico by 2. So, I mean, that was a bunch, that, that was some tough games. And that was when they were still college players. Um, and Christian Leidner did play on that team. And he wasn't one of the uh, top scorers. Uh, the top scorer was actually, let's see, it was Kenny Anderson. Alonzo Mourning made a big impact. Billy Owens, it's some names that uh, many remember. But uh, they did win the bronze. And Antonio, his father, wasn't on that. But it's kind of, it was a cool look back because, I mean, Drazen Petrovic, I don't think he ever gets talked about enough. He was one of the great ones. But, uh, yeah, so many think of Coach K as just when he started coaching again, um, was what was that, in the 2000, I think six or seven, he took over again, kind of with the Redeem team. But no, he was head coach in 1990, assistant in 92. So yeah, he had, a, he had some experience before then. As for the Summer League, basically, last episode, I mentioned it really quickly, but I will let you go around and talk about some performances that may have stuck out to you. I will say I did I watched the first Zion RJ game and I did enjoy my boy. I mean, I, I will you and say, the rest of the world watched that one. Yeah, I, I, the world I, I was watching that game. I will say, I mean, this isn't even a pat on the back because it's just the truth. There's nobody who was bigger outside of maybe Frank Jackson's family and maybe the Duke program. 
I love Frank Jackson. I think he was used terribly at Duke, but either way, bygones be bygones. He balled out that game, so that was nice to see. Summer League, I mean, I'll I'll explain uh, my thoughts on it a little more. But first, why don't you just go around and talk about different players, maybe what you thought stuck out, some good performances, maybe some uh, things that you thought certain players needed to work on after watching. So uh, what did you take away from Summer League with Duke players? Yeah, so I, you know, I think Emil obviously had a really nice game that got him, you know, back into the the graces of the uh, Magic. Grayson had a couple nice performances there. Um, you touched nicely upon on the last pod. You know, he had, again, I've never seen a flagrant in the summer league either, but he, you know, play, always plays with passion. And, you know, I think he showed that ability to, to, to handle the ball a little better. He played, I, I thought he played well, you know, both on and off the ball. I was watching him a little more. I mean, he's not going to play much on the ball with Memphis, but um, he had a nice performance in, and and I believe it was the court before the quarterfinals when they got their round robin play when they were playing. Um, Trent had Gary Trent had a huge game. Well, before that, um, I, I will say that I did see a replay of Grayson. He blocked um, Aubrey Dawkins. That that was a big highlight. And it's just it's kind of funny, kind of bringing it back to to Aubrey Dawkins, Johnny Dawkins. And it's wild how Zion he's playing on the same summer league team as Aubrey Dawkins. So it's just one of those small world things. Yeah, for sure, Aubrey. I, oh, that ball could have that, that could have changed a lot of things for me. At least gave me another week to enjoy college basketball. So, um, you know, Trent had a huge game. Trent showed the ability to consistently knock down shots, which is going to be his calling, regardless of where he plays on the court. You know, he's not gonna. He never was a Duke uh, much of a creator with the ball. He was more of a catch and shoot kind of guy. He could create a little bit, but Duval kind of handled that role for him. So it was good to see him. And then you mentioned uh, Frank. I mean, Frank, that game that he had, Frank Jackson's game was incredible to watch. Like all the, all the hype surrounding all these players. And then Frank comes out and tosses 30 up and looked, I mean, he looked, he looked incredible. Like he looked fast. He looked explosive. He looked, you know, that's the Frank I was hoping we got at Duke. And unfortunately it never really, you know, came to fruition there. Unfortunately, it was there. It was there. It was, it was there. oh no, for sure. His talent was there. there was no, yeah. Nobody was questioning. Yeah, that his he just wasn't his intensity. There. No, and that's and it's it's frustrating, you know, because you have all these guys that are so good at doing one thing, and for whatever reason, we make them do other things, and and, and they're still good at those things as well. But you know, it's kind of the stay in your lane kind of thing. So the the summer league to me, I've been watching it for years now. The summer league to me is more. It gives you a good idea of the fringe roster guys, you know, who could, who could potentially make it, who won't, who may get looks at other places if they're not given an opportunity with the team they're with. I like the summer league because you can see the competitiveness. You can see, you know, the talent out there. And some of these guys have, have carved out roles for themselves just based off the summer league itself. Who was the player? Alonzo Trier. I think yeah. he, was, he was actually quoted as saying like, these guys who who are drafted, they don't play in summer league. They're not going to be ready. And I'm just like, are you serious, man? I, I mean, look, I, I was, there's, I believe this was the least amount of draft picks, or at least least amount of uh, upper echelon um, lotto, lotto picks who did not play in summer league. And I think that could be a trend. Um, just because it is kind of like the preseason where you see 
starters sit more and more and more yeah. and almost like not even play some of some of the times because it's just for, I think the difference between that and you could say maybe um preseason games is they go to summer league and immediately they're playing there's like no there's not even like a system they're they're being coached by guys who might not even be coaches on the team uh, I mean there's they're just basically I, I forget who it was one guy was asked like what the coaches told him, and he's just like, play your game. There's really, there's really nothing specifically <laughs> That's designed. That's the play call. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, I don't know how you're supposed to get better. I guess some could say like R.J. Barrett, who started off um, pretty raw with the Knicks, he he improved. But I just think that was a matter of getting used to playing more off ball, since that wasn't his role at Duke. Uh, with Zion, Coach K said that he shouldn't have he shouldn't have even played summer league because there were so many commitments with the other stuff. I mean, I guess then it's a question of what's more important, the commitments or summer league. I think most people would say basketball, but then you have to remind yourself, wait, is it really basketball? So It's I, a business, for sure. No, I mean, I mean, is it really basketball like it's summer league? Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I don't know, but I will 100% agree with the fringe players. I think they absolutely can make a big impact. With somebody like Gary Trent, I don't know, I'm already – I was already pretty convinced that he has a lot – of his game, which he wasn't able to show at Duke. And I think he, he's a very versatile player. So it's good to see him start to show some of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess um, as far as and he's still really young too, you know, he's still really young. These guys oh, yeah. are all still very young. So, you know, it's good to see him out there. As far as evaluating, I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. You can take like certain plays and maybe go over that. Like, even Zion. Like, immediately you could see the Pelicans were using him in the short roll, and it just made my head explode because Duke, uh, they used him three times rolling to the basket last year, which is just, it's it's still insane to me. And then you'll always get, when I put it on Twitter, you always get the people like, it's a different game in college compared to pro. And that's why I'm very interested. Um, later on, we'll go over how the three-point line is going to be moved back for next season. So, Hopefully, I mean that that not hopefully that will create spacing. So that's I mean the excuses at some point they got to run out. All right. So the biggest news of the summer for Duke, by far not even close. Mike Buckmeyer got a scholarship, and I mean to me that I mean you might as well just shut it down now. That he is the most important player for Duke next year. He's the most important player of my entire life, and Mike Buckmeyer getting a scholarship is the greatest news I've ever heard. What what's your takeaway from that? Yeah. I love are, are you as excited as me? I don't think that's possible. <laughs> well, I mean, judge, judging by that reaction, I don't know if I'm as excited. But it's not the I, greatest moment of your life? Not, I mean, well, I have a, I have a child, and I've been married. Uh, come so, on, it's Mike Buckmeyer. I mean, Mike, yeah, well, well, for the sake of not sleeping on the couch, we'll go with <laughs> no. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I love Buckmeyer. I think he's you know, a huge part of the, the team, and, you know, I don't do a lot of um, – you know, following people's stories and stuff on like Instagram and stuff like that. But he does like after the game, he'll do the interviews with the players and stuff like that. You could just tell that all those guys truly love him and embrace him. So I think, you know, by them doing that, it's just, he shows you the class and stuff that the Duke, the Duke university has. And they know, they know what they have in Bachmeyer. He was, he was Zion sensei last year. I mean, he was, he was his life coach. So, I think that's huge. And before we move on, I will say um, little quiz. Uh, could you name? This was actually really interesting to look back. 
there's actually two guys I totally forgot played together who it's wild that I forgot, but before the, the Grayson teaming up with, uh, Tyus and, um, and miles, can you name any of the pairings of NBA teams with two NCAA champions from Duke at the same time? Any of them? Hmm. Think about, uh, I will say, because this is putting you on the spot, think about your team. So, okay, so so the Bulls, huh? Mm-hmm. Let's see. You, so, it's a, so it's a pairing of Duke players who won a championship together that played together on the Bulls, is what you're saying. They won a championship at Duke, yes. Okay. 2001. Well, so it'll be Jay Will and Boozer? Nope. Brand. Nope. I'm trying to think who's well. I mean, the only one I remember being in on the 2001 team that played for Chicago, Dunleavy. Yep, Dunleavy and Carlos People... Boozer. Brand Brand didn't win a championship at Duke. I wish he again 99. Not I wish he did. I, I meant, yeah, I don't know why I, I said Brand. I actually meant to say Boozer. I, I thought Brand. Yeah, unfortunately, we remember that Trajan year. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, Dunleavy and Carlos Boozer. And yeah. Dunleavy was actually in a bunch. So we have uh, this was before. Um, this is before uh, Ty is signed. So I have the Grizzlies with Miles and Grayson. Then the Mavs. I count if you're on the team uh, when Duke wins a championship, even if you're not, even if you're, it's a transfer year, I'm counting it. So I have Seth, you want it, yeah. Seth Curry. I, I'm counting him mm-hmm. with Quinn Cook on the Mavs. Um, we have the Hawks with Dunleavy and Ryan Kelly. They played together a little bit. Um, then we have the Pacers. Mike Dunleavy and Dante Jones. Dante is another transfer, won it in his transfer year, 2001. We have the Grizzlies, Shane Battier and Dante Jones, and then the Pistons. Do you do you do you think there's uh, two huge names that played together on the Pistons back in the day? They played together hmm. at Duke too. They won two championships at Duke together. So it had to be if they won two championships at Duke, it had to be that um, had to be the Leitner team. Yep, Leitner and was it Grant Hill? Yeah, Grant Hill, yep. the Piston. Yep, I was Grant... going to say the, the ultimate Piston. I'm not even coming up with them. I'm I'm more thinking about Leitner. Yeah, so it's funny because yeah. I I totally forgot Leitner even played for the Pistons. Yeah, so, so they, teams, they actually they? teamed up in the NBA. I totally I I blanked on that. Um, I mean, Leitner. We're I mean, we were talking about um, Achilles the last time. I mean, Leitner. He had a great year with the Hawks, and then he tore his Achilles. Was never was never the same. It's just as anyway. <laughs> um, all right, so let's move on to recruiting. I've said many times over the years, I'm not into recruiting. Um, I don't really follow it much. I've heard great things that, about Jalen Johnson, who Duke, uh, he announced he was coming to Duke about a month ago. He's really versatile. I think he grew up a Kentucky fan, and he he says he came to Duke. He likes what Kay does with versatile wings. He named off Winslow, Tatum, Cam Reddish, and R.J. Barrett. Um, and a big reason he came to Duke, he, he said he wanted to feel at home there. So in terms of Jalen Johnson's game, I'll look more into him later. But for now... Uh, what can you tell me about him in terms of skill-wise? So, you know, his his comp has been already mentioned that he's almost he's almost a Tatum clone, in, in in a sense that he has the ability to you know guard multiple positions. He has the length. He has the um, you know he he can play point. He's he's got playmaking abilities. He's an outside. He could be a stretch four. He seems to be 
you know, what's going to be a matchup nightmare for us, but a little better of a creator. I know Matthew Hurt, who's coming into Duke this year, is more of your traditional stretch four with, a, you know, more of a Ryan Kelly type of stretch four, how Ryan Kelly was. Tatum, I mean, um, Tatum reminds me of this. Watching a lot of his tape and watching a lot of – I see so much Tatum and Jalen that, you know, he said the main reason why he came to Duke is because Duke made him priority number one. When they were recruiting, they made him priority number one. He felt that, you know, not only with Duke's track record of, of, of bringing, you know, guys through the system and, you know, like the Winslows, like the Tatums, um, he just – I think he's a perfect fit of what we're going to be looking for next year because, again, I think – I think the majority of our of our freshmen coming in 2019 will be gone for 2020. So he'll come right in. He'll be able to score for us. He'll be a he'll be able to guard one through four. I don't know if he's big enough or strong enough to guard the five. But well, he has a whole know. other year of high school so to sure. get stronger. Sure. I mean, and I hate doing this because if I don't see someone play, then I'm just going off what somebody else writes or mm-hmm. says, and that's I try to avoid doing that. But I will say. He's a lot of people have raved about his passing, and I think Tatum that's something he really improved at throughout his season at Duke. And uh, Jalen Johnson, right now, I've read that he is a really impressive playmaker for others, so that's great to already have down. And uh, Mike Ribinoff, who I did uh, a pod with, he he goes deep into these prospects, and he really likes Jalen Johnson. He has him number three on his board at the moment for uh. 2020 all right so the loss of boogie ellis that that's something that we did occur a while mm. back but I, I still would like to at least get it out there and mention it how do you feel that affects or doesn't affect duke in terms of what he might have contributed or what duke might do to kind of get past that or just what are your thoughts on boogie ellis choosing memphis i love boogie ellis so i remember um when he made his decision to back out of Duke, I remember where I was, what I was doing. I actually was was in the classroom teaching when I found that out. And uh, I said, just not Carolina. Please don't go to Carolina. Don't go, you know, and he, he's the, he's a guard. So we have we have Trey, who we all we all saw Trey play last year. Trey is a very good defender, very good leader, not a great scorer. Uh, Boogie was a good scorer. Boogie, Boogie had the the ability to to put points up on the board quick, and I think us losing that is going to be a huge, you know, a huge loss because Cassius Stanley is known as a a great athletic guard, defender, high flying. I mean, Boogie could shoot. I mean, it it's a huge. I think it's a big bigger loss than people may think it than they than they think that it could really could be because I think. He, he was going to fit right in. I think he was going to start the two right next to uh, to Trey. Yeah, I think he wanted – this is, again, just me kind of – I don't Wanted know, the ball. But, but yeah. I think he wanted to be the point guard. And mm-hmm. with Trey coming back, Kay is going to put it in Trey's hands, I believe, as much as possible, or I hope. Um, so I think Boogie, despite agreeing with you, that I think he would have been able to play off the ball at the two. I, I think he just wanted more of a chance to play point guard. I don't know what Memphis's roster kind of fit is for him. But I think the thing that Duke would will miss about him based on the limited uh, amount I saw and read about him is just the attitude. Because he mm-hmm. was – man, that, that kid was an animal. And – Last year, I was talking about how Chris Carwell seems to recruit guys 
who resemble Chris Carwell in their <laughs> mindset and personality, just dogs. And I mean dogs in the most uh, complimentary way. That's why I'm really looking forward to watching Wendell Moore. I, I think, I mean, he, 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 he's a competitor. And Boogie Ellis, it's that same thing. Obviously, guys have different attitudes on the court, and some don't show emotion as much. Boogie Ellis, he's an emotional guy, and I think that would have been great because Trey, he, he, he can show emotion, but I think somebody's just got to fire up this team. And so I think the attitude is something that um, I wish what he would have stayed and brought to Duke, but best of luck to him. For sure, for sure. And I Did you see the um, the odds that came out for national champions this upcoming year? So they had – did you see it? Did you get a chance to see it today or no? I, I thought – I think I remember like Gary Parish like tweeted it was like sixth best or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I, I, I was surprised when I saw it was the, the favorite was Michigan State. Then very close under there was Kentucky. Then it was Duke a little separated from them two, almost in like their own tier. And then Memphis was right there is four. So they must be – you know, with their recruiting class coming in and the addition of Boogie and, I mean, they must – they must have high hopes for for him and that team coming in. So, well, as much as the Fab Five, we remember how it got to the point where they started five, and that's kind of the rumor swirling around in Memphis. They might start the the season with five freshmen, and that's something that even Michigan uh, back in the uh, Fab Five days it, it took them a while to do that. So, I mean, that would be interesting. But they got talent. There's no denying sure. that, that they have talent. So. Take some of the focus off of Duke for once one year. Maybe we could just play basketball this year instead of being the focal point of college basketball as usual. Yeah, and I think it's just because Duke doesn't have that uber star. They have plenty mm-hmm. of great players, top-tier players. Mm-hmm. They don't have the star in the same way mm-hmm. um, they did with both Barrett and uh, and Zion and even um, Cam coming in, the big names that people already Sure. Know. All right, so we got the non-conference schedule released. Did you have any initial thoughts on the non-conference no, I mean I was a little um I was a little uh disappointed in the non-conference actually. I, I thought it was missing outside of the you know, so just taking a peek at it and and knowing um you know, I'm excited about the Champions Classic. That's going to be fun. I mean, they uh, hopefully will be in attendance for that game. I've been to the game every year, so I'm hoping to you know, see the Kansas game, you know, the Michigan State game. You know, sticks out to me the rematch of the Big Ten and uh, ACC uh, Classic. You know, but outside of that, it's just a couple of tournaments. Maybe the potential of playing Texas, playing Georgetown, but but outside of those two powerhouses that we're playing, I think we we're a little light this year in the non-conference. Actually, all right. Two big takeaways for me. Number one, I can't remember if there's ever been a time when Duke's not playing a home and home. I mean, those home-and-homes, they are so kind of classic in that way where Duke was always playing at Temple or um, St. John's. John's. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, those are classic and just the continuity of knowing you're going to see that team again next year at the other team's place. And no matter what the records were, even like St. John's, those are are most of the time um, some really good games. And, uh, I mean, I still remember those Bootsy Thornton-type games. It's Ricky really, Hatton or whatever his name, the Hatton, what is his name? The the point guard they had there. He had, I think he had thirty in Duke one night. I do remember. I, I remember they had Eric Barkley. I remember him. He was yeah. supposed to be like the next big thing, and uh, that might be like Artest 
and uh, then Mo, Mo Harkless a couple years later. But uh, yeah, there's there's some great teams coached by Mike Jarvis, who used to coach GW near me. So that yeah, I, I that shocked me. That really did shock me that they don't have a home and home. So I guess it's do you think it has anything to do? I'm sorry. Do you think it has anything to do with the one and done era that we have going on? I mean, there's really not much of a. These guys aren't really building any sort of a rivalry against each other. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, I mean, it's not like, you know, oh, yeah, we'll play you guys. We'll see you guys next year. Cause chances are you're not going to see our guys next year. I don't know if it's just a guess, but maybe because Duke is already playing at Michigan State and two times at Madison Square, maybe they wouldn't do it with a team unless Duke started out home this year and then they would go on the road next year with the team. Maybe no True. other team was willing to do that. They wanted it the other way. But I that's just a complete – um, yeah, so I don't know. Either way, it's disappointing to me. And basically, the number two, uh, the second takeaway, kind of, it's, it's almost something that could have been replaced by either the uh, the home and home or just, I mean, if you think about the Texas Tech game last year, that was another big game because there's always the Champions Classic, there's the ACC mm-hmm. Big Ten Challenge, and then there's a tourney. But then there's also usually another big game, like the Texas Tech game last year or something else no, there, there's nothing like that this year. And when you think about the uh, – I don't even know if it's called the 2K Classic. What is it? Um, the uh, – yeah, it is still the 2K Classic. Um, I mean, Cal stinks, and and they'll play the, the winner of uh, Texas Georgetown. And Georgetown, I kind of like their young talent. I don't know oh, yeah. if they're ready to take the next step. But actually, they have uh, Omer Yurtseven, who – do you know Omer Yurtseven's record against – I do. Uh I know he's probably never lost to him because we lost every year we played. I was he, we lost he every year we played. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, so he was on that team that beat us in Cameron too, right? Year we won the title. Yep. Because I remember we lost that at the Wolf. Wait, no, not, not when they won the title. Um, they were year Duke won. Didn't they beat us when they had um, Dennis Smith? So they won in. So he won with them in 16, 2016, and he won with them in 2017. Oh, that was Set, a Cat Barber year. We won the title. That's or it's right. 2017, 2018, yeah. sat out 2019, yeah. and now we'll play for Georgetown. And then Texas, Texas has some talent, um, and they're getting even more talent with the recruiting. But neither of those teams are, would I would say, are top tier. So basically, so I mean, they're, it's not to say they're good, but I can't even guarantee both will even make the NCAA tournament. So that'll be a good, but nothing special game. So basically, I'm, I'm not trying to put it down, but you're playing. I mean, the game against at Michigan State that's huge. The game, the game Kansas at MSG, that's huge. But those are the only real, like, big, big, big games that they're playing. I mean, besides that, I'll run it down real quick. You got Colorado State, Central Arkansas, Georgia State, uh, Stephen F. Austin, Winthrop, Wofford, and Brown. Wofford would have been a, a great matchup last season, but uh, Fletcher McGee's gone. And Cam, is his name Cam Johnson? No, wait, it's Cam something. I liked him with Wofford, but he's gone too. Oh, so, well, Cam Jackson, yeah. Cam Jackson, Cam yeah. Jackson. I like, I like yep. that guy. Um, yeah, and that, so that's it. And, and they finish off with Brown. So I don't know if maybe Coach K, like this team, because they don't have a star, he wants them just to get a little more action against, I don't want to say lesser, because all the respect to all these teams, but it's. I agree, it's not quite the non-conference schedule we're used to. No. But, I mean, it's – you know, it's the schedule you got to play now, and it's the schedule you got to, you know, build your team by. And that that Duke Kansas one is, is circled on my calendar. So, okay. So thinking about uh, Duke for next season, 
I'm I'm big on Javin Delorier in terms of people are going to look at stats and they're going to say like, oh, if he doesn't average like this and that, like he won't have the impact I predict. But it's not about stats. I think the way Javin was playing at the end of last season, I'm big on the 2019-20 uh, Javin wagon. But because he was already making big contributions last year, let's look at four players, O'Connell, Alex O'Connell, Jack White, Jordan Goldwire, and Joey Baker. Out of those four, who would you say is the most likely, in your opinion, to make a big leap? If you're going to have to say one of them. So I, I, I think Goldwire exploded onto the scene basically from Louisville on when he came into that game. Um, I think that's pretty much maxed out what his role is going to be on the team, to be honest. We have a couple other ball handlers. Um, I, I, or it's I not think... a big leap because, I mean, that's that's making it very concrete. Um, yeah. let, let's say just who's who's like most likely to have a, 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 a legit role where they're, it's they're in the rotation all the time. I think it's O'Connell. I think it's still O'Connell because of his ability to consistently knock down a jump shot. I think with with the penetrating and stuff we're going to have on this roster and the ability now with the best, with the three being moved out, you know, there'll be a little more space for him to get shots. My issue, and it's, I'm sure it's your issue and it's everybody else's issue, is I just worry about him defensively because I mm-hmm. just don't, I just don't know if he's he's a great defender. You know, like he, Jack White is a good defender but we saw the inconsistencies with his jump shot throughout the year. So I, I think my, if I had to pick one of the guys who's getting minutes, you know, in the rotation, my, my guess would be, would be AOC. So I'm going to go with Jack White. I think that Syracuse game electrocuted his confidence for last season. But I mean, you go back to that Texas tech game. He was the most important player against Texas 100%. Tech. And up until Syracuse, he was shooting, about 40% from three, the toughness, the leadership, he was just unbelievable. He was such a key glue guy for Duke. And I think Kay, he, he still trusts him. It's just you can't play a guy if he, if he can't make a shot. Like if, he, if you can never make a shot, then you ba- basically either – then you have to kind of contribute on the defensive end like a Jordan Goldwire type in the backcourt with Trey or else it's just you can't find a role. So Jack White almost became unplayable. But if he can, if he can get, I'm not saying he has to be knocked down, but if he can just be a little more, um, even reliable, high thirties, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Jack white could find himself right there. Uh, getting legit minutes in the rotation. All right. I, I will allow myself one social media rant per episode. And this, uh, like I won't even go, go deep. This, this sometimes these could go a little longer. This is just, Guess what, guys? Duke is really good. Stop trying to find the negativity online. It's not worth it. It's I, I mean, Duke Twitter is like Duke offseason Twitter detectives. They're determined to uncover and be angry about like any negativity. I mean, it was just amusing how somebody found like one thing that somebody wrote about Zion having like a bad first game in summer league, and they're like, and they just went off. And it's just like, dude, chill out. And I know it's Twitter, but like, especially those who do it from big platforms. They they really have a lot of influence, no matter if you believe they should or not. It's unfortunate sometimes. How about a little more positivity? How about it? Just give it a shot. All right, so um, NCAA. Two new rules. The three-point line is moved back from 20 feet 9 inches 
to 22 feet one and a third inch, which is the same as the current international rules and the same which was experimented with in the last two NIT tournaments, I believe with positive feedback. And the other is offensive rebounds after the shot clock resets to 20 seconds. After the team gets an offensive rebound, the shot clock resets to 20 seconds. So um, let's start out with the three-point line. Spacing, I think, will be so much better. I mean, I mean, with like a team like Duke last year, it wouldn't have made a difference. They couldn't have made threes no matter where it was. But the, spa- <laughs> the spacing would have helped. And then all the excuses for pick and roll would have been just out the window, especially the short roll with Zion. Just all the spacing would have been great. And I think it's going to help every team. I really like the spacing. I think a lot of people might concentrate on just the fact that it might get a little harder um, for to make three since it's a little farther back. Look, shooters are going to shoot, and they're, they're going to be successful. So if you could make – a three, like an inch closer, you'll be able to make a three here. I agree. I think it's going to change a lot of, um, you know, you'll see a little more freedom of movement, I hope. I mean, there's been, there were some games last year where, you know, every time, you know, one of the, the foul, the game, the pace of the game was just so slow. A lot of these teams that play like, I mean, the Virginias of the world and stuff, they're going to, no, but I, I like Duke's ability now. I, I, I like how this will help Duke because I think Duke has a this year compared to last year has a good number of good perimeter shooting, you know, with, you know, Wendell can shoot. Um, uh, Matthew Hurt can shoot. They have, you know, AOC's back, O'Connell's back. Um, you know, I, I think all those guys are really good proven shooters. So I think, I don't think it's going to bother them as much, but it's going to help, you know, create, create some some movement and maybe get some action in the paint as well with Vernon down there too. So I think it'll yeah. help, you know, inside and out. Actually. I think the shot clock resetting to 20 seconds, that'll be good because, I mean, you mentioned a team like Virginia. This isn't a knock on Virginia. It's, I know no. everyone loves to make the jokes on them. It's just you if they're getting an offensive rebound, they're resetting, and then it's just all over again. 28 so, more seconds, yep. Yeah, um, so, yeah, 20 seconds, it'll help there. Just mm-hmm. kind of allow for more um, pace in action. Um, sure. All right. Do you think there is, a, in your opinion, would you like there to be quarters, and do you think there ever will be? It's a tough question. I don't. And there's no I, right or wrong answer. No, you're right. I, I like the halves. I like the halves because that's obviously what I've grown up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on like how the NBA has the fouling broken down and shooting free throws and stuff. They, you know, quartered out opposed to being over the quarter of a half. I mean, I think they'll eventually, they're always looking to change and make viewers a little more excited, maybe tailored a little more toward the NBA game to get these kids ready for the next level. But I personally hope it stays Habs, but I can't see them going to four quarters at some point. Aren't they, isn't uh, men's college basketball the only basketball at any level, like anywhere in any country? That does that does abs? Like <laughs> I, I mean, I know I know women's women's college basketball. They do quarters. International, they do quarters. Everything does. I think men's college basketball. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe high school. Some of them do. I don't know. But no, I think they do quarters too. No, yeah, I coach high school and we we do four eight minute quarters. Yeah, so I don't know. I would kind of. I mean, I don't understand. And I would like to see quarters. All right, two two other rules in your opinion. Do you think they should be switched, and do you think they will be? The one-and-one one foul shots. 
Do you think they'll ever get rid of that or keep it? I, I think you have to. This is like another level, another level of game pressure. Yeah, it's another. I like the one in one. Um, I think it creates end of game up, uh, some more end of game. End I, of I will say sorry to interrupt. If anyone shouldn't like the one in one, it would be Duke fans after last year. So, uh, or yeah, no, I don't. But that would be biased. Yeah. Uh, and the other yes. would be jump ball or um, possession or possession. Yeah. So that's a big Dickie V thing. Dickie V always rants about, oh, give him a chance. You know, the guy dives on the ball and it goes back to the other team. Or I, I would rather see the jump ball, like a jump ball, than than an actual possession arrow. I just think, I think that's lazy. That's a lazy type of. Uh, oh, you got it last, so we'll get. It's like a pickup game type of rule. You know, I play pickup game. Oh, you got this call. We'll we'll give you the next one. It should be, you know, we both go for the ball. Let's see who gets the next one. Yeah, I guess it's to keep the action moving, but I think too often it doesn't reward the defense for making a really big play. For sure. All right. Next, just a quick rant, and you can uh, tell me, I think you said that whatever TV subscription you're on uh, carries the AC Network already. Comcast, fix the shit, man. Like, or Comcast slash Xfinity, what I have, they don't have the AC Network yet. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And that's that's basically my my uh, my thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I, I I have Spectrum, and I think I think I do have the ACC network. So um, if I don't, you better believe I will be paying whatever the horrendous amount is I have to pay extra to get it because that's how Spectrum is. But um, yeah, that's going to be rough not having the ACC network. Yeah, I don't know because I mean I guess I'm just looking at ACC network. What wh- how many other networks don't have it? But I mean most of them do. So uh, Comcast, get your shit together. All right, ACC news. Uh, this did happen a while ago, but it's worth touching on because it is big. And I think we knew because Virginia Tech they were pr- they're pretty much starting from square one. Kerry Blackshear transferred to Florida. Florida is very lucky to have him. Florida could be a, a very very legit team, and. It's the first time ever there's no first or second team ACC players returning. First time in history, which is wild. The most well-known players. You think there's really – tell me if I'm wrong. Trey Jones, Jordan Noir, Mamadi Diakite, who I think most people only – or most of the average fans only know because of the tournament, and then Chris Likes. Besides those four, I'm not sure there's any non-hyped freshmen coming in that the general fans really know. And it's just, it's, it's really wild because of how experienced the ACC was last year. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even, you know, all the whole first and second team. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, last year, the amount of talent that was in the ACC and just pure freshmen alone was out of control. You know, you had the Duke freshmen, you had, um, you had Nasir Little, you had Kobe White, you had all these superstar potential, you know, you knew we're going to leave. But, you know, just to see, you know, the turnover that's going on should should be interesting. Some of the teams that may have not have been good last year are going to take a huge jump this year, and maybe the top's going to come back to the middle a little bit. It won't be as top-heavy as it was last year, so. Okay, we're going to go rapid fire with uh, kind of just a couple – um, of various around the ACC questions because obviously when we get closer to the season we'll go much more in depth. I mean this is late July. So tell me, tell me uh, 
Should Louisville be predicted to win the ACC right now? I, I, I guess I'm being biased. I don't. I think as of right now, if I had to pick, I think, I think Duke is still the team to beat in the ACC this year. I think they have enough coming back from last year and enough coming in for this year. But I do see Louisville being in that two, three range with, uh, you know, they didn't lose much. And I think Jordan Mora, who's actually from right around where I live, he's about, he's from about 45, um, 45 minutes away from where I live. He's, he grew up. So, um, yeah, in the Buffalo area and he, uh, yeah, I think, I think they have a true star with him. So I, I could see, I could see Louisville definitely being at, at the top of that would you, conference. Would you the have the him as your prediction for, or do you think he should, if you're, if you're a site, you're making odds, should he get the best odds for uh, ACC player of the year in the preseason? I do, but I think that, I think at the end of the year, and this is just me foreshadowing, which I hope I'm incorrect about, of course. I could see Cole Anthony being yeah. the ACC player there. You know, with it, with yeah, he's got to have. I mean, he's literally their guy. I mean, he's gonna probably gonna be a high volume shooter. He's gonna be a high, you know. I I can see him winning the honors at the end of the year. Okay, the reason pro Louisville I'm going with, I think they have the best proven talent. The reason anti Louisville, I would say unknown in the backcourt because they went from experience in the backcourt. Now they have fresh Kimball, who's a uh, grad transfer from St. Jones and uh, Samuel Williamson, who's a high recruit, but just to not know what you're going to quite, you don't have any chemistry in the backcourt. That's always risky. The X factor for Louisville, Stephen Enoch, that guy oh, has yeah. disgusting talent. And Wasn't he, he a transfer from UConn? He mm-hmm. transferred from UConn, right? Yeah. Uh, his talent is without question. So if he can put it together, that, that'll be great. Tell me why. Tell me either Notre Dame will make the biggest jump, or tell me a team you think will, if not Notre Dame. So I, I think Notre Dame didn't um didn't Fluger get a fifth year too? Didn't they give him the fifth year? So that's yep. you know mm-hmm. that's returning a guy who who um you know. Is, is an upperclassman. You know, they have Gibbs. They have they have some nice talent there. I mean, they have – and Bray's a great coach. I mean, he's – you know, he's a disciple of, of Kay, obviously. But um, I, I think Notre Dame will make a huge um, – a big jump. I do – I do think Louisville will make a bigger jump than them. I, I, can, I can see – I can see Louisville win the ACC. I don't think Notre Dame's good enough. Oh, yeah, I wasn't talking about Notre Dame winning the yeah. ACC. It's just, I mean, they were... Top half, we're, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we're not used to seeing Notre Dame perform the way they did last year. There's a lot of injuries, and with Bray's teams, there was always that continuity. It was kind of like K before the one-and-done era, where the upperclassmen would teach the the underclassmen, would kind of rise... Uh, they would coach themselves, almost. So, I mean, there were so many freshmen. Now you got a guy... Um, like Nate Lazuski, who could take a big step. You already have John mm-hmm. Mooney, who's not known to many. John Mooney, double double guy. Yeah, yeah Re- Rex Fluger, as you mentioned, T.J. Gibbs, Prentice Hub. I mean, these are great guys, and there's I, there's no possible way there's going to be another 14 and 19, three and 15 ACC season. I think Pitt can make a big jump too. I think Pitt's got had a lot of nice young talent last year, a lot of young nice pieces. I think they may not improve too much, but I think I think Pitt's going to be much better too. 
Yeah, we talked about the unknown of Louisville's backcourt. How about the known of Trey McGowan and my guy, my guy, Xavier Johnson, man. <laughs> Fear that man. I love him. Um, I was somebody – I remember the, a Pitt reporter asked him about uh, Zion before Pitt played uh, Duke last year. He's like, are you scared? He's like, hell no, I'm not scared. Every man bleeds. And I'm just like, this is my guy. For like DMV, <laughs> D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Like I already loved him coming in. I'm like, he literally just said that about Zion Williamson. I'm sure every Duke fan like hated that. I love it. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Xavier Johnson. All right, Virginia and FSU, give me – your opinion, will they drop off or maintain upper tier? I think Virginia is going to drop off. I mean, it, how can you not drop off when you lose Kyle Guy, when you lose Ty Jerome, and you lose Hunter? I mean, I just don't – and Jack Salt graduated, correct? He, Yeah, he's, he was at school for like nine years. So they, I just – even if they have some good freshmen and stuff coming in, they have a couple pieces um, – Hey, Clark was uh, Clark. I liked Clark last year. He was a, you know, he was Dikite's good. I just, I don't see them. I see them being more of a 15 to 20 ranked Virginia team at their peak instead of, of where they are now. Um, and FSU, I mean, Kevin Galley's a huge loss. Terrence Mann's a huge loss. Um, you know, I think, I think they're both going to take a step back. I think they're both were really good. So I think they'll still be good competitive teams. I just don't, I don't think either one of them have elite talent anymore. Yeah, I don't think Virginia is what they were last year, obviously. I mean, last year they were a juggernaut. I mean, two out of three. Unless they played Duke. Yeah, yeah two out of three Duke. games lost. That was just nobody could have beaten Duke those two games. Nobody. Um, Braxton Key, I think, is going a little under the radar. He provides a lot that might not be shown from stats. He had a big role in the championship game. The guy who I think is going to be huge – for them is a guy that I'm not even sure if I can pronounce his last name, but I've heard great things. Again, this is someone who I haven't seen, but he's from a junior college. His name is uh, Tomas Waldatense. Wal- Wal- yeah, mm. sure, if that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I- I've-, I've heard that he could really, really ball out, and not many people know him. I don't know. I'm not saying he will. I be- If I'm going to say who said that, what's his name? Um... The guy, he was with ESPN, now he's with NCAA, Seth, uh, not Seth Davis. Um, Greenberg? No, Andy, Andy, Andy Katz. Andy Katz was big on uh, Thomas Wolt. Oh, yeah. Wolt, Wolt, Tensei. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll learn it soon enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I haven't seen him. Florida State, I think they're interesting. I I actually think they could be the big – they could actually – be a big surprise. Trent Forrest, um, I remember I was talking to Lauren Brownlow. She said Trent Forrest had like some sort of uh, foot problem all last year, whether it be turf toe or something. Um, I don't know. It was some really bad foot issue. MJ Walker is talent, a lot of talent. He hasn't quite shown it. But two guys, Raekwon Gray, I call, I referred to him as... as uh, the Draymond, yeah. No, I referred to him as Lil Zion. He looks like oh, Zion yeah? if Zion was kind of shrunk down. Um, <laughs> I mean, that guy, he, he is... Nobody's gonna want to get in his way. And Devin Vassell, man, that they, they, he can he, he can shoot. shoot, he can defend, he could be someone who takes a big step. I think Florida State's going to surprise some people. Uh, obviously, we'll get much more into that um, as the season gets closer. The, the last question: UNC, you think they'll be too reliant on uh, Cole Anthony, or do you think uh, we should consider them as big a threat as anyone for uh, the ACC title? They, 
I mean, they're Carolina, so unfortunately, they'll, they'll be there. You know, Roy does a great job there. They still have some pieces returning from last year, but, I mean, have you had a chance to see that Cole Anthony kid play? He's the real deal. Like he's... I watched very little. One thing I was impressed with is his uh, his feel and his change of pace. But that's, yeah, again, very small sample size. I'm, I'm excited to see him. Yeah, I, I don't think – I don't think they'll finish in the top three of the ACC like they seem to every single year, um, unless some of their pieces emerge that they have there now or young guys from last year, Garrison Brooks taking a big step or, um, you know, but I mean, Cole Anthony, I think is good enough to, to win them games by himself. So we'll see. I mean, it's an interesting year. Like you mentioned, it's an interesting year. It, there, there's not a ton of upperclassmen, but there's also not a ton of like freshmen, phenoms coming in so it's it's a weird year i think it, you know in a couple rule changes i think i think it's gonna be a very interesting acc this year yeah if you think about the teams with the most continuity there's not those aren't the teams that they're necessarily it's continuity um because they're great i mean there is teams like states returning most of their guys georgia tech wake forest Pitt, and notre dame but those are those are players that obviously they weren't good enough to get those teams to the upper echelon of the ACC. So there, there's not teams that are returning. I mean, again, they no first and second team players. So I, I will say Garrison Brooks, love that guy. Won't, won't be shown by stats, but if you look at, if you look deeper into the stats, I will say as well as just watching, he makes everyone better. They're better in every single category when he's on the court. Every single player they, their stats were much better. The team did better. I mean, you you could see that visually and stat-wise. All right, so uh, let's go on to the NBA. A lot of a lot of what we saw was excitement over. It's kind of a soap opera. You never know where a te- where a player is going to go. There's guys switching teams all the time, and with the social media era and just I guess a younger generation, people love that. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. But it's interesting how it's kind of the similar to when the one and done era first started. How it's cool we get to see all of these great players and they're they're coming from high school. They're choosing different teams. There's always kind of what will happen next. But then those of us who are old fogies like me and you who think <laughs> back to those teams of Duke of yesteryear, which like there's continuity. They there would be a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. It was awesome. And I'm not saying everything should be like that. I'm not saying everything should be like now with the one and dones and all that, but it's. Do you think that it, there's a bit of comparison to how it's great to see how there's a lot of player control and how guys are moving teams all the time and it's exciting, but at the same time, you miss that continuity a bit. I do. I miss. I miss those Duke teams where, you know, they had, you know, different pieces in there. You know, like you you mentioned when we had. Duhan with some of the upperclassmen and we had like all you know it the NBA has now turned into at least a, to a one and done or a lot of them are two and dones what they're doing is they're going and they're 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 signing you know one year like like Boogie Cousins seems to continuously be a one and done at this moment because he's banking on you know cashing in on the big day and showing that everybody that he's back and you know, you saw Kawhi, what Kawhi did. I mean, you he can't do much two more. two years. There was a player option, I think, yeah. in the third. And, to, like, I totally agree with giving up that many picks. I thought it was a four-year deal. It turned out it was two years with the player option. That's wild. So, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you look at a lot of the Kyrie only spent the 
short time in Boston. And these guys are just, you know, they're all trying to team up and make super teams this year. I think an NBA now is going to be interesting because this is this level. The playing field has been, I can remember in a long time. Like there's no, Oh, we might as well fast forward the season because golden state and LeBron are playing in the championship. Like that's, you know, so you see the teams like golden state who continuously got better and were all drafted together with Draymond and clay and Curry, you know, they had continuity and they built pieces around them. That's how, that's how I miss college being. That's how I miss Duke being, you know, drafting. Okay. We, we need a big guy next year. So we're going to go hard at recruiting a big, or we need a point guard. We're going to go hard at recruiting a point guard and not let him play point guard or whatever we're going to do. You know, at, you know, I, I miss the continuity and I miss, you know, watching these guys develop and grow with each other over the years. Yeah, with me, I mean, you could see a Duke team and then you could start to project how those players would do the following year, how they would grow. And now it's just like, I don't they're know. They're not going to come back. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do in the NBA, right? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's why, that's why I was saying, like, Grayson could be the last of a dying breed of Duke. But then you got to remember something we'll definitely talk about when we go through eras. That, that rule, I believe so, is done after 2022 when they can go straight – or it starts again in 2022 when they can go straight pro. So I think the 2020 and 2021 class, those might be the last um, where they have to at least spend a year not in the NBA before they Yeah, play. like a year removed from college or high school or whatever it is, yeah. Okay, and an interesting thing I saw before we'll finish up um, with one last uh, Duke topic, I looked at that the three the, the three All NBA teams of 2018-2019, 15 players. When, and I asked you to look at it too. When you did, is there anything that stands out when you see it? And I'll say, and I'll just go through real quick. First team: Giannis, Paul George, uh, Jokic, Harden, Curry. Second: Durant, Leonard, Embiid, Lillard. Kyrie. Third team, Blake Griffin, LeBron, Gobert, Westbrook, and Kemba. I mean, Jokic on the first team is... Well, I, I want I want you to think maybe beyond outside the box in terms of maybe something it represents. I, may, I, I'm probably not phrasing it correctly. Can I, can I tell you what I think and then you tell me if you might agree? Agree? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, what I see is that we concentrate so much on guys going to huge colleges, the Blue Bloods. We concentrate so much on re- recruiting rankings. When you go through these, it is fascinating how many of these guys, even besides the ones from overseas, went to a lot of mid-major schools. And a lot of these guys, they were not real high recruiting. I mean, yeah, you could find like, let's see. I mean, the whole first team. I don't think any of them were high recruiting rankings. None of them I mean, were. I mean, obviously you got Giannis and Jokic overseas, but then on um, the second team, Durant was high, Kawhi no, Embiid he I believe he was like around twenty. So yeah, but not like I mean we we act like these top tens are guaranteed, and he was twenty high, but not like elite. Lillard no, and I mean Kyrie yes. Thirteen Blake Griffin yes. LeBron went straight. Uh. Gobert overseas, Westbrook really wasn't, and Kemba, I don't think he was either. So what I took away is, I understand everyone loves recruiting. Everyone thinks the best guys in college will be the best in the NBA, and if you go to Duke, you're you're set to uh, succeed 
to an elite level, or not just Duke, Kentucky, to anywhere. It's, it's, it just shows how there's different paths. The same way, if you look, I, I did a, I tweeted out during the finals of Toronto's team, their roster, there was, they, they didn't, there was no draft picks that were lottos. And I don't think that there was any who really had big college careers. They're overseas. I think a lot of them were second round picks. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that. there's different right. ways to do things. So I think when when a guy is ranked really high in recruiting, I think let's take a couple games to watch him at Duke before we base how if he matches up to that recruiting ranking. I don't know. I just, I just think it's a very interesting thing to look at when you go over these three teams and see how many were were really hyped up coming into college. You're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, it's funny you brought that up because yeah, I mean, I. I would say out of all 15 of those guys, maybe two or three of them were tabbed as can't miss prospects, you know, coming into college or going right into the NBA regardless. I mean, the only ones I could think of that were, I mean, Durant was, was, was obviously (laughs) one of the best freshmen of all. He was Durant. So we can't even Kyrie kind of came on a bit late. Yeah, he did. He did. And he had that, that toe injury for, for, and one of those um, games that we're missing this year, one of those random December New York games that we usually get every year when they played, you know, against Butler. Um, yeah, I, out of the 15, yeah, I mean, Kawhi wasn't, Embiid wasn't, Lillard clearly wasn't. I mean, nobody even knew who he was until tournament time and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny you said that. That's that's a good point. Um, it kind of reminds me, back before, before Twitter got – mean <laughs> i still remember um like back in 2011 it's still like probably the most entertaining twitter account i've ever seen besides i think 2014 there was boring jabari parker that didn't last too long but they had an account dedicated to kyrie irving's toe and it was like hashtag toegate and it's just constant updates most of them like fake on like what, i remember what that yeah what kyrie's toe was doing and it was it was very entertaining so it's kind of like, like the and you follow the andrew luck uh, Twitter. Yeah, where he's like a military general. I'm <laughs> no, yeah. hysterical. I mean, these people are creative, if nothing else. Before before we finish up with the stupidest topic ever, which is a uh, predicted rotation, and I will say, yeah, that's absolutely stupid. But hey, it's July. Let's say, has Duke ever had a more upper class sounding name than Keenan Worthington? And let me just be clear, I am not saying anything bad about him. It's just Keenan Worthington sounds like he should be knighted. Uh, like immediately yeah it sounds fitting it sounds like you know we have uh you know the paliukas and stuff of the world where um but the yeah the worthington name that's that might take the cake out of all of them for me so he is 100 percent, and he'll probably be you know he'll probably be a fan favorite at some point so he he could never uh he could never take my love for buckmeyer right now maybe later i would have never I- guessed I would have never guessed you were a Buckmeyer fan. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a Buckmeyer fanatic. All right, Truth so well, let, let's do it. Let's do the stupidest thing ever. Let's go rotation. Obviously, it's going to be Trey Jones, Wend- Wendell Moore. Wait, is it? Okay. Because these Duke guys, that you never know how to, like, they'll pronounce their name. Like, I, I'm still, like, have to make sure I pronounce Trevon Duval, his name correctly every time. Wendell, I, I said Wendell Carter over and over, and he's like, no, it's Wendell. 
and Kyrie Irving, it's like, it's Kyrie accent. It's like, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, just make it a little. I still have no idea how to pronounce uh, Rajon Rondo's first name. It could be Rajon, 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 for all. I don't know. I just. Rondo. Just go with Rondo. <laughs> yeah, Enjoy seriously. Safe bet. So, anyway, uh, I'll say it's Wendell Moore, unless he specifically says accent on the second syllable. So, we got Trey, when Wendell, uh, Matthew Hurt, and Jalen Carey. Those four are, I would assume. Again, I don't, I don't know anything. I mean, Trey's the only one hundred percent like. Yeah. All right. So then it's from then on out that it's kind of up for discussion. So I'll, I'll let you go. How, how do you? Who do you think could be the fifth starter? And who do you think is in line for uh, possible big roles? I mean, I'll, I'll say you got Justin Robinson, Mike Buckmeyer, Michael Savarino, Kay's grandson and Keenan Worthington, those are going to be um, the uh, the 10 through 14, I'm sorry, the 11 through 14. Mm-hmm. So I will say Robinson could get occasional, maybe doubtful in big games, but hopefully. Um, but basically it's it's a 10-man guys who it's worth considering. It'll be right. in the rotation. So after those four I mentioned, fifth starter and your opinions on where the other guys will be in the rotation. So I think I think they're gonna probably it's gonna be hard. I want Javin to start. I think Javin's ability, like his his um, you know, just him being a leader, him playing the four, it's gonna be tough because I think we're the best. We could put the best lineup on the court with Hurt at the four. So if that's the case, then I think they move Wendell more to the three, and I think Cassius Stanley starts at the two. That would be my guess is what, what our first lineup would look like. But I, I think it just depends. You know how Kay shuffles his lineup around depending here and there. I don't think, you know, I, I could see Cassius coming off the bench first game and, and, and Javin starting. So I think those six are vying for the five spots. And I think at the end of the day, it's really, truly Javin and Cassius Stanley. Just it depends on if he wants to go with Hyder, if he wants to go with an extra guard. I think it's really interesting because I don't think anyone knows, and I think it's going to be kind of a uh, wait and see, mm-hmm. earn your earn your spot. I mean, I'm looking – I actually searched just to see what other people thought, like Joe Giglio, if that's it, or Joe – I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, he has uh, he has Cassius Stanley starting at the mm-hmm. two-guard. Uh, Rob Douster, I think he has uh, Alex O'Connell in the starting lineup. Mm. So we'll see. I, I think – I don't uh, see G- that happening. I would like to see Javin – there as well it would kind of make things interesting because we think of hurt as a uh, stretch four but hey this is positionless basketball what coach k always preaches so if uh wendell moore's playing two guard that's I don't a big think lineup that's nice. yeah i mean length is never a bad thing no so i would like to see javin in there i think i mean o'connell i think we all want to see him be the guy to earn the minutes but at this point, he has to prove it. We've seen guys who make big leaps from their uh, sophomore to their junior year. I thought Jack White was going to be someone who did that himself. I mean, going back to like Duke history, a guy that not many people remember really, but a guy, he's one of the few players to, uh, if I asked you, how many players do you think have scored over 30 in the NCAA tournament under Coach K? Just give me a number. There's no three. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
Okay. So there's Danny Ferry, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Jay Williams twice. I mean, he almost did it straight on his own for like a stretch versus UCLA. That 19 over run is still wild. Uh, and then Zion Williamson um, last season. There's one more. Kevin Strickland. Kevin Strickland is one of the, the least talked about players ever for Duke. Late 80s, basically did nothing his first two years, came on strong. I remember he balled out one game with Duke uh, when they beat Carolina. He, he was amazing. He never gets enough love. I, 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 so Kevin Strickland. But so, so we're hoping O'Connell can do that. I think Jack White is going to get time. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I agree. Unless he just literally still can't shoot, which I don't think will happen. I think Goldwire will, will, will get his time. I think, it'll, I think it'll be interesting because it's going to be, I think, O'Connell or Baker. One of those guys is going to outplay the other and earn time. And unfortunately, one of those players, I think, just is going to have a tough time cracking the rotation. Because we're looking at 10 players. There's no way K will get anywhere near there. No, Cash he won't Stanley, even play nine, probably. He Cash barely will Stanley, play nine. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I mean, if he if he had it the way he wanted it, he I don't think he would play more than seven as long mm-hmm. as the six and seven are worthy of getting legit. Are strong minutes. enough, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about like ninety nine. I mean, Maggette played like eleven minutes, and um, and um, the guy who transferred to BYU, he got a couple. What's his name? Uh, I forgot his name. So uh, Cassius Stanley is the guy who I, I just, from what I've seen, and it is so little that I have no, I will say this straight, straight out. I will preface with, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but for, he looks super raw, like super, super raw, He's extremely athletic. I wouldn't consider it out of the realms of possibility that he ends up a red shirt. But, again, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have not seen him in a full game yet. He just looked really raw. I will look much more into him before the season starts. So I I, I really – I actually look forward to going back and saying, like, how on earth could I have said that? Or maybe I still believe that. I don't know. It's just I'm not sure what he provides at this point, which would definitely get him a spot in the rotation, except for absurd athleticism. So – Hopefully, I am wrong. I mean, I, I hate when people do that, saying I'm rooting to be wrong. Like, whoever's rooting against the player is like has issues themselves. So, obviously, I'm, ho- I'm hoping he does well. But I think he is one of the more interesting guys. So, I think I would say Trey, Wendell, Hurt, Delore, and Carey. And then uh, Jack White, Jordan Goldwire, and one of uh, Joey Baker or uh, Alex O'Connell. I agree. That's what I, I think. I think that's what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, and the key will be not jumping to conclusions during non-conference because especially with some of these lower-tiered games, we're going to see all of them. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of experimenting that way, and uh, I, I think we're going to see how it goes. And that's what that's what that's what's fun about making these. I wouldn't call them predictions, and definitely not projections. But who knows what'll happen? All right, so. I think we covered it. Is there is there anything else you, you can think of in terms of again? This is our last time going over any Duke news and notes. I mean, again, there's there's no overseas stuff. There's no Olympics. There's no um, FIBA. I know a lot of NBA players are declining to uh, participate in the uh, Team USA training camp. 
I think uh, trying to cut down on the minutes for a lot of those elite players, I think sure. a lot of people will kind of try to relate that to Coach K. See, these players don't want to play since Coach K is not there anymore. I think it's more <laughs> just – I mean, they play so much. especially with these in- Yeah, yeah especially sure. with these in- with these injuries, I think they just want to have some time to relax a little bit as normal people do. So, um, yeah, besides, besides that, I think we've covered everything unless you have anything else to add. No, I don't. I just look forward to every, you know, every time we get together, it'll be that much closer to the season and getting closer to more Duke relevant, um, news and stuff i'm sure now that you know you see them training and stuff together and having practices and team dinners and stuff together now so hopefully we'll start getting an idea of what the rotation and what the you know the you know the next steps will be for the season and just kind of uh you know just just play by ear and see what see what comes up because there'll be some news coming up on the duke front i just hope everybody stays healthy and you know we we go into the season healthy and ready to ready to compete all right, Duke strength and conditioning coach, Will, right, Will Stevens. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Will Stevens. I don't think many people know his name. Man, he is the most intense guy ever. All the players love him every year. You can He's in a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff that Duke tweets out in the offseason with them working out, and just props to what he does. And then, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to uh, give him a shout-out, too, because there's a lot of guys – that you might not know their names, but they are just as integral to the Duke program as uh, as anyone else. So for sure, I think that about sums it up. Stick with us; we're going to kind of go over some creative topics in the next um, episodes coming up in the off season. Again, dead period. So favorite Dukies, all decade team. Uh, we'll go over some eras, just different kinds of episodes. But that sums up the news and notable uh, commentary for now. So for um, Joe Gaudio, I'm Adam Comro. Thanks so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I'll be talking to you soon.